What up fam, I'm Elena, a certified nutrition coach, personal trainer, and hormone specialist. I'm a former public educator turned holistic fitness coach, and I'm on a mission to disrupt diet culture and educate individuals on how they can heal their gut issues, hormone imbalance, and food relationships caused by chronic dieting, inflammation, and autoimmune or chronic illness. My philosophy for coaching is simple. Eat more, move better, feel amazing, because life is too short to feel like shit. So let's dive in. Testing, testing one, two, testing one, two. All right. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What the Funk. And I'm super excited today because I'm going to share a bit more of an in-depth case study, if you will, of a client who had insulin resistance Um, and a little bit about her journey and kind of the phases that we've had to go through to this point now that we're going to be entering into now a fat loss phase together. Um, And we're going on nearly a year working together, which this this is kind of why I wanted to share a bit of her story. Um, My client Jackie came to me. um, She at the time was a 45 year old female um, struggling, sort of had a history of medical weight loss where she would see a lot of insane weight loss and then gain it all back and kind of was on this merry-go-round for several years, um, and was just so over it. So done. Like she was just so done, so frustrated, didn't like how she felt in her skin, was not feeling sexy, was not feeling excited about the clothes that she was wearing. And she really kind of went through sort of a three-step journey. One, the first step that we had to kind of come through with her was dealing with her relationship with food. Um, And a lot of times before we get to the point where we can really target in on hormones specifically is dealing with the relationship with food because sometimes the hormone recovery process requires people to be able to live in a state of not necessarily restriction, but there's a few different rules that people have to play by when we start dealing with insulin resistance, when we start dealing with recovering sex hormones post birth control, that really that concept of quote unquote balance that people are trying to chase, they start to realize it's really a lot less maybe balanced than they realize it is. There's a lot more intention and a lot more structure behind how they live their lives in order to get to that point where they're feeling healthy, they're feeling good in the gym, they're seeing the progress they wanna see, but they can still enjoy a date night out. They can still enjoy a meal out with friends. Um, And uh, this was kind of the biggest thing that we had to come through with her. So for full transparency, When somebody starts their hormone healing journey and they come to me and they want to talk with me about, hey, I've gained a bunch of weight in the last year, in the last two years, in the last three years, what have you. I'm very honest with people up front and I tell them, you might not lose weight immediately. And in some cases, you might gain weight. If your body needed you to gain that weight, you're going to gain that weight. And especially when it comes to sort of a food relationship journey. Let's normalize allowing our bodies to gain weight when they need to gain weight, regardless of where your starting point is. This is still a valid experience. And she gained about 10 pounds within the first four months of us working together. But at that time, we were not focused on weight loss at all. Now, understandably, this was like kind of a scary experience. Most of my clients who deal with this, like they have moments of panic and I assure them, listen, 
you're doing the right thing. And typically what I see is maybe 10 pounds, 12 pounds tops during this first sort of like four to five months of recovering a relationship with food or if somebody's really eating super low calories as we're kind of increasing food and the body is like, yes, thank you, finally, um, people will sometimes gain weight during this initial experience. And I wanna be very clear, I'm not a weight loss coach. I'm not a fat loss coach. I am a hormone, gut health, and metabolism coach. And sometimes I have to sort of take you through the mud in order to get through the meadow. You got to go through the hardship first in order to see the other side. But because we've been so conditioned that the only way that we're allowed to exist is in a smaller body, the thought of weight gain being a part of our story is fucking terrifying. And I understand that I've had to go through that myself. So really what happened here was within the first four months, her relationship with food and her knowledge of food and nutrition and how to put a meal together and how to say no to other things in order to say yes to her health really transformed. And she learned a lot about herself and how she views food and how to realize that she doesn't have to be at the mercy of food, that if she doesn't eat this one thing, she's not really missing out on anything because she knows that if she really does want it, she can have it within a certain portion later on that day or that week, right? It doesn't mean that she's having like multiple indulgences throughout the day now as her norm, where she's grabbing a bagel for breakfast and then ordering out at the lunch cart for work and then coming home and then like making a really rich dinner and then like having dessert, which like wasn't always the norm for her, but that was more closer to the norm of what she was living in prior. And a lot of people are going to relate to that where really for her, she's a foodie and she loves food and I get it. I love food too, but we had to kind of break away from this mindset of not every meal needs to be like a culinary experience. Food can sometimes just be food and it should taste good. Yes. But it doesn't need to be this miraculous sensory experience that all of us are expecting it to be right. The culture and concept of DoorDash, Uber Eats, things like that have kind of convinced us that unless this food has this, this specific flavor, this specific texture, this specific taste, it's like a non-starter. People are like, I don't want it. And then we're wondering why we're struggling with our health. Some of the things that we did to help her recover her relationship with food. One, I didn't put a calorie cap on her or even have her track her macros to start with. We just were looking at the basics of what makes up a balanced meal and why those balanced meals are important, right? We talked about proteins, different proteins, how much protein we need in a meal, how many servings of that do we need throughout the course of the day? And for her, we really worked on the strategy of and the skill of meal planning and meal prepping. And that was really game changing for her because now instead of just like, I don't know what I'm having for lunch tomorrow or the next day, we were moving through the week with intention. The other thing that we started to do was I started to introduce to her the concept of intentional indulgences. So this is a strategy I love using with clients who struggle with a relationship with food, especially when it comes to more like high satiety foods like cookies cakes, chips, stuff like that, is I tell them, I want you to purposefully build in a portion of this every single day. I don't want you to have to go a day without because I want you to realize that having it can be the norm. So that way, when it comes across you in a social setting or in an unexpected setting, it's not like this treat, this quote unquote treat that you're having. It's something that you know that you're allowed to have on a daily basis. 
But when we look at it in the big picture of what the rest of your day looks like, it's actually a very small amount. And typically what she had kind of been used to was having bigger portions of these things. It was an, it was a treat. It was an event and they were there and they were good. And well, she didn't eat breakfast and now there's cookies at work. And so we're going to go in on the cookies or we're going to go in on whatever baked good that she brought to work today. Cause she's an incredible baker. Um, and she bakes a lot for her friends and her family and even her colleagues. And so there was just this sort of in balance, right? So we worked on making sure that we were bringing in structured and intentional fueled, well-fueled meals for her and her body to help manage her energy throughout the day, reduce her hunger, and then intentionally say, I'm going to eat a damn cookie on a daily basis or something. It doesn't necessarily have to be cookie. It could have been chips. It could have been, it could have been cake. It could have been cupcakes, right? So we really worked on her relationship with food and her, her essentially relationship with how she put and pieced her day together. And for somebody who's been on this like sort of diet merry-go-round, that was a novel concept because the only way she had known to live was either in extreme calorie deficit or on the flip side of things where she had no really guidelines for how to keep her body fueled and healthy and energized. And so she would be done with these medical weight loss, th- um, medical weight loss experiences and then really kind of go back to more or less doing what she was doing previously. And not only that, but every time she went through this medical weight loss process, her metabolism and her, and her hormones continuously adapted and adapted and adapted to the point where a calorie deficit in and of itself wasn't going to work, but we had to kind of go through the mental game first of repairing her relationship with food, educating her about nutrition before we can really dive into the hormone stuff. So once we kind of accomplished that and along the way here, we're also getting her into the gym. Now this woman loathed exercise when we first started together. It is so funny now because I remember telling her at one point, like, Hey, you have kind of a busy week during the week. What if you like got up early on a Saturday to go to the gym and started your weekend up that way? And she was like, no, that's when we like to sleep in. We like to kind of take it easy. And I was like, okay, fair enough. But like, maybe just try it once and see how you feel. See how you feel about the weekend. See if you feel less rushed. See if you have more energy. And lo and behold, she went to the gym on a Saturday morning and now she's freaking addicted. She loves getting in a Saturday morning workout. So she gets into the gym usually twice during the week and then like once on Saturday. And now she's even taking walks almost every single morning which is so insane because she did this complete 180 from absolutely loathing exercise to loving exercise. And part of it was that we didn't stick her into this, like really like, Hey, you got to go to the gym five days a week. It was like, no, I just want you to start by doing some workouts at home. So she slowly started increasing her activity level and her intensity of activity from these at-home workouts and then got a gym membership and now she loves the gym. And then she found certain exercises and movements that she was super excited to do when she got to the gym. And she's like, hey, can we do these? And I'm like, absolutely, you're excited. I am excited, let's get these in the mix. And so giving her also some of that autonomy of like, hey, if there's something you're really enjoying or something you're really hating, tell me because I want you to enjoy what you're doing in the gym. And we would make sure that her workouts were still structured in a way that made sense, that they were well balanced, that we were hitting all of her body parts, that we were progressing in weights and she's so much stronger now and she loves working out. And it's absolutely incredible to see. So let's get into the hormone side of it.
things now. First things first, we need to talk about her biofeedback. Okay. Now, if you're coaching or listening, you likely know what I'm referencing. Biofeedback is essentially the set of physical symptoms, if you will, that somebody experiences on a day-to-day basis. We're talking about sleep, energy, hunger, digestion, mood, brain fog, things like that. And for her, the big red flags were low energy, low sex drive, brain fog, cravings, right? Which kind of played into her relationship with food and her mood. Like she wasn't always this, like, she's a very happy, positive person. And she would just have these major mood swings that weren't normal. Like they were, they felt very like, you know, it was like, she was like, who am I? (laughs) And she's a very positive and upbeat and bubbly person. If you've ever met this woman in person, she's incredible. I, I, I think she's an amazing human. And here's the thing is that she's 45 now. She's 46 now. So she was 45 going on 46 and worried about early menopause and 46 is young to be going through starting menopause, right? We're usually not expecting this for another, like maybe like eight years at this point. Um, so at this point now we have a 46 year old female who's been on hormonal birth control for a long time. And we pulled some laps because she's like, okay, I've got this thing down and this is what we found. So what we're looking for with insulin resistance from a labs perspective, okay, we're always pairing the labs with what somebody's experiencing in real time. So we had the weight gain, which was also likely due to just her recovering her relationship with food. She was eating more food more consistently, but it was also a decent amount of weight in the course of four months. Plus she had the previous weight gain from the year prior or two years prior um, that was sort of just sort of steadily kind of coming on. So that to me signals potential insulin resistance, cravings, potential insulin resistance, and fatigue, which again, with insulin resistance, your body's not managing its energy levels well, the blood glucose. And so you can have these major energy crashes. Um, And so what ended up happening was we're looking for four specific markers um, across the board. So first things first, it's not a lab, but a waistline over 35 inches in women. Um, It's going to be, I think, over 40 inches for men triglycerides that are over 150, fasted glucose over 100, and an HDL under 50. So those are kind of the things that I'm looking for. I already knew what her measurements were. And so her labs that we pulled showed a fasted blood glucose over 100. (laughs) Her triglycerides were like 163, I believe. And her triglyceride to HDL ratio was four to one. We want a two to one ratio with her triglycerides. And we had an A1C of six, um, which shows prediabetes um, if we're looking at it just from like the numbers perspective. So A1C also can come into consideration here. Um, And so what we ended up doing for her was a few things. Um, We really had to have a conversation again, kind of about getting real with her goals, right? It's very normal when somebody starts to see the scale kind of uptick, they kind of get into this like fuck it mentality. And I really had to have the conversation with her again about rethinking balance. She'd done some really great work previously with learning how to not restrict and then overdo things due to the restriction, but she had to be okay with learning to be a little bit more intentional, a little less dining out. Balance is not the free for all that some people on social media make it seem to be, that the fitfluencers make it seem to be. And it really requires a level of honesty with yourself that many people are not ready for or willing to face. The next thing we started doing was we started monitoring fasted blood glucose. This is one of my favorite strategies for 
various things, but specifically with somebody who shows insulin resistance very clearly from a biofeedback and labs perspective, I love doing fasted blood glucose at a minimum in the morning to see how the body is responding because oftentimes fasted blood glucose and even a postprandial blood glucose two hours to tell us how the body is managing um, will give us a lot of insight in as to are things working before we see any kind of physical progress with measurements or the scale. Usually it's going to be energy levels and usually it's going to be mood and it's also going to be your fasted blood glucose levels. And that little pinprick of blood gives us so much insight into how your body is managing stress, into your quality of sleep, and how you are faring with your insulin resistance. So we use that data along with her food logs and energy levels to make adjustments to her food choice, to her meal timing, and her strategies for being social and navigating food. And her the fasted blood glucose levels went from being from like the low 100s to 110s to like the mid 80s, low 90s, like over the course of a few months, which was really, really good to see. Granted, this came from this step one and really recognizing that balance is not the free-for-all that we think it is. A lot of times we use the word balance to justify what we really is nutritional choices that lack actual nutrients. <laughs> I'm not going to call them bad choices because I don't think there's any foods that are bad, but it just means that a ratio of foods that are nutrient dense to foods that are maybe delicious, but lack nutrients is off a little bit. Um, so now the third step that we did was we did implement intentional supplementation to support her cholesterol levels. So what we did specifically for her cholesterol is we brought in, brought in, um, we brought in, uh, citrus bergamot and we brought in omegas. Um, we had a, uh, 1000 milligrams of EPA and 1000 milligrams of DHA in her fish oil. And the citrus bergamot is also really beneficial for cholesterol specifically. And then we also made sure she had a multivitamin in B to fill in all those nutritional gaps. So really high quality multivitamin. Um, and, uh, th that helped us improve the nutrient gaps from the food that she maybe wasn't always able to eat on a daily basis and helped lower inflammation and bring her cholesterol down. Then she wanted to get off hormonal birth control. And this is like one of my favorite things that I do with people. So people don't realize that hormonal birth control is a low level endocrine stressor, um, endocrine disruptor and a stressor on the body. So I put her on an eight week protocol. And this is where I don't really use protocols per se, the way that they kind of get used within the fitness industry and even functional coaching industry specifically. But for people getting off of birth control, I really do have a step-by-step -step process that I follow with them, that I have them started eight weeks prior to them either coming off birth control or getting an IUD removed. And so what ended up happening was we put her on this eight-week protocol we had her IUD removed and I don't think I put, and specifically what happens is, um, when we get on birth control and I'm going to look up right now, um, what her labs were for her progesterone before birth control. Cause I want to say it was like 0 0.03, which is pretty normal with, for somebody on hormonal birth control where their progesterone is pretty low. Um, and it was, yeah, it was 0 0.03. And then when she got off birth control and we actually just did labs not too long ago, I like to take labs, um, after getting somebody off of birth control, usually a little faster than most doctors like to take it because I want to see where everything is trending to start with. 
Luckily, um, I do have access to polling labs for my clients myself. I can order them on my own, um, which is really nice to have access to that. So people don't feel like the medical community can't gatekeep this information from people um, when I'm giving it to them. So she went from a 0.03 of progesterone um, before coming off birth control to now having a regular cycle as a 46-year-old female and a progesterone level of 21.4 during ovulation. She was having an ovulatory cycle as a 46-year-old female. Like, it was incredible to see this transformation. And really with the, what happened with that, what came back for her there was her libido. So her sex drive came back. Her energy came back. She was just like, I feel so sexy. I love the clothes that I'm wearing. I am where I just, she just felt so much more like herself. So um, at the end of it, um, what ended up happening uh, is right? We talked about her levels prior where her HDL was under 50, fasted glucose over 100, triglycerides are like 163. Um, her labs after was she had a 90 fasted blood glucose, which is beautiful. Um, triglycerides were now uh, two and a half to one, which is much, much improved. And that A1C that was previously at a six, her A1C now at this point was, I'm looking at her stuff right this minute, is her A1C was a 5.4, which is really solid. I mean, that's such a big improvement from where she was just five months prior to all of this. Um, and so it was the basic health improved, right? She's a much healthier individual now. Now what's really cool is that over the course of this process of overcoming the insulin resistance, getting off her birth control, improving her sex hormones, she lost 10 pounds and I didn't put her on a single calorie deficit. This was all just from repairing her relationship with food, right? And granted, she did gain the 10 pounds initially. So now we're back to a point where she's where she was before the 215. Um, but now she can actually pursue fat loss and it's actually going to work. And we actually started this process already. Um, and it's quite cool to see how now fast her body is starting to respond to the strategies that we're implementing for her for fat loss. So now she's going to be able to lose weight, lose the body fat that she put on after dealing with all of the medical weight loss because she's gone through this sort of recovery phase. She had to recover her relationship with food. She had to recover her hormone function from a metabolic standpoint and a sex hormone standpoint, which was super incredible. And now she's eating well, you know, 1800 calories a day she can eat and not gain any weight. And so now we have a little bit of room to play now when it comes to like a calorie deficit. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, 1800 calories is not sound like that much. It actually is for some people. It actually is for some people. And this is why we can't make like baseline assumptions about like what somebody could and should eat. You know, there, I know people, I know other women who can eat well over 2000 calories a day but they're also training very differently. They have a very different training history than what some of my clients might have. And a client of mine eating 18 to 1900 calories to maintain their body weight, when previously they were maybe eating anywhere between 700 calories a day and 1000 calories a day previously, that's a big change. That's a big change in their metabolic health. And frankly, eating over 2000 calories a day is not comfortable for some people. It's not comfortable for them digestively. They find it very difficult to keep up that level of food intake. And I'm not a fan of just pushing food on somebody just because I want to say, oh, my client can eat 2300 calories a day. Like, 
Anybody can eat 2,300 calories a day, but can you find a sweet spot for an individual that's optimal for their lifestyle and their preferences that allows them to be metabolically healthy and then be able to pursue fat loss, right? That's kind of the magic there. So don't, if you are a coach and you're listening to this, don't get caught up with, oh, I just want to push food because I want to say I can have my clients eat so much food a day and they're still losing body fat, blah, blah, blah. Like that's great for some people. That really is. But that shouldn't be like the angle for every single person on your coaching roster because people are so different. Like I have other clients who can very well eat over 2000 calories a day and maintain their weight and that's their preference and they like being there. And it's like, cool, if you love that, we'll keep doing that. But I'm not going to force somebody to eat more food just for the sake of eating more food, because that's really not the flex that uh, we think it is <laughs> as coaches. Okay. So that is Jackie's sort of uh, case study, if you will, of kind of the work that we've done over nearly the last year sort of working together. Um, and I'm super, super, super excited to see where she goes from here. I'll have to make sure I, I keep you guys posted on kind of where she goes from this point, but that's basically how we recovered her relationship with food fixed her insulin resistance and got her off birth control and got her a healthy, regular ovulatory cycle as a 46 year old female. And oh, the other thing too, that we figured out was that she had sleep apnea. So I made her go to a sleep clinic and they got her a sleep, a CPAP machine because she's like, this is not good. I'm like, no, that's not good. You should go get that checked out. I actually have a few clients where after kind of talking with them, we realized that there's a lot of disturbances in sleep. And I'm like, have you ever been checked at a sleep clinic? And they're like, no, should I go do that? I'm like, absolutely. Um, and they end up usually having sleep apnea, which can really affect just overall baseline health and longevity, right? That can take years off your life. If you're waking up, if you're having sleep apnea, disrupt your sleep. All right, you guys, that is it for today. Um, if you want to, uh, ask any questions about Jackie's experience, or if you have insulin resistance and you're looking for some uh, resources to help you kind of overcome it, I actually have done some podcasts specifically about insulin resistance and overcoming insulin resistance. Um, I'll make sure to send those to you if you haven't listened to them already. Otherwise, thank you guys so much for being here. I know today's episode was a little bit longer, but I really wanted to be able to walk through Jackie's entire uh, sort of story because I think it's absolutely incredible the work that this woman has done. I am so I am such a proud coach um, with so many of my clients. And so it's really fun for me to be able to celebrate the mindset work that they've done, the physical improvements that they made in their health. It's just so satisfying because at the end of the day, it's about helping people feel better and feel at home in their bodies. Um, and so I'm just, I'm super excited to share her story with you guys. So I will talk to you guys on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the What The Funk podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. And don't forget to take a screenshot. Tag me on Instagram. My handle is at elena.m.fit. I would love to hear what you want to hear on the podcast. I do respond to DMs. I would love to talk with all of you. I'm so excited for you being here today. Thank you so much for the support. And I will see you next time. Just a quick disclaimer for the information found in the What the Funk podcast. I am not a licensed medical professional, mental health professional, or registered dietitian. The advice and recommendations given out on this channel and on this podcast are not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition or mental health condition. If you do think you have a medical condition, please speak with your medical provider. Please consult your medical provider before implementing any kind of supplement regimen or exercise regimen or nutrition regimen into your lifestyle, as well as 
as be aware that listening to this podcast does not constitute a coach client relationship. Thank you guys so much.